live from Studio B on the campus of the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. This is Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik. Hello, friends. My name is Michael Radelnik. Welcome to Open Line. I'm the professor of Jewish studies and Bible and also academic dean at Moody Bible Institute. I'm so glad to be sitting around the radio kitchen table with you. We're talking about your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. We have a live studio audience today right here at Moody, and the folks here will be asking the questions today. So if you have a question, today's not the day to call. If you're listening on the radio, what you should do is go to our website, openlineradio.org, Click on the link there that says, Ask Michael a Question, and your question will be added to the mailbag for a future program. But for now, though, listen to these questions from this audience, because they'll be asking the questions you've always wondered about, too. Tricia McMillan is our producer today, Courtney Young, our engineer, assisted today by Chris Seagard and Joel Swan. Now, go get your cup of coffee and open your Bible, because we're about to study the Scriptures together. But before anything else, I'd like to introduce uh, a special guest for this opening segment. Joining me right now is Dr. Mark Job, which president of the Moody Bible Institute? <laughs> 10th? <laughs> Number 10. Number 10, the 10th president of Moody Bible Institute. I am grateful for Mark's leadership, actually more grateful for his friendship. He is always so gracious to me, and I'm so glad you're joining me this morning. Hey, Michael, it's great to be with you and all this big national Bible study happening right now. And by the way, Michael can't brag about himself, so let me just say as we start out, let me just brag a little bit. You are listening to a professor of 30-some years, an expert in all things Jewish and Bible, the editor of the Moody Bible Commentary. By the way, if you use that, that's a great resource. And his latest book, he's got a number of books, but the latest one is the 50 most asked questions or something well, like that. I probably, Bible. yeah, there you go. Um, so I hope that you appreciate the fact that we are able to have this Bible study with a man of this caliber. Well, thank you. Now that you mentioned it, you know what I'm going to do? That's our current resource. Oh, we always give a, a resource away. And, uh, uh, so let's talk about that. Since you brought it up, it's called 50 most important Bible questions. And uh, it's, I took the most frequently asked questions or the most significant questions that are asked on Open Line, and I tried to get easy to, an- easy to understand answers to those questions, trying to base the answers totally on Scripture. Uh, and it's, I think, helpful book for the, the spiritual seeker all the way up to the mature believer. And uh, many of you listen all the time but you've never given a gift to Open Line. If you're listening now and you think, wow, I'd like that book, we'd like to send you this book as a thank you for any gift that you send in. So uh, 50 Most Important Bible Questions is yours when you give a gift of any size to Open Line. If you'd like to do that, just call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. Remember, when you give, don't forget, Ask for the 50 most important Bible questions. Okay, you know, we're going to go right to questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. I, I told Trisha, first segment, you're going to be joining me. All the hard questions, first segment. <laughs> there we go. So uh, we're, going to, we're going to begin by going to the, the, the audience here, as I said before, are the ones who are asking the questions. So just uh, step right up. Uh, tell me your name. 
My name is Nancy Van Dusen, and I'm from Los Angeles, California. Oh, L.A., and I'm wow. very happy to be here, and I have been teaching uh, doctoral students for over a half century. In what subject? And um, humanities. Humanities. And I've taught only at what is known as secular universities. I've wow. never taught at a Christian university. And so I have a question that my students at these universities have asked me, and that is that— um, um, they they feel well. I'll just instead of reading my question to you, I'll just uh, summarize it. Yeah. Um, they feel surrounded with this worldview that actually has no place whatsoever for God or even discussing God, and they find it permeates their lives. Even though they're convinced Christians and they're reading their Bibles and they're praying, they feel, they find this is an atmosphere that is very very hard to combat. Mm-hmm. And I hear this all the time. So, do you have this as a question? Certainly, we have the sword of the spirit, but this is something that is becoming more and more pervasive. I think yeah. at universities. Oh, I I agree. I'm going to just turn this over to our president, uh, Mark Job, because he knows a lot more about this than I do. But, uh, yeah, let's talk about it. Well, first of all, let me say, she actually sounds like someone that's been training doctoral students. Yeah, right. I I just want to say that. sophisticated. And Uh, she didn't need to read her question. No, no, yeah, very articulate. So, you know what? Let me say that especially for this generation of college students, and I have a 24-year-old son myself who— was very different. Uh, kids have uh, different perspectives. He had to really understand Christianity intellectually. And so, as a 15 year old going to secular high schools, being pretty much taught uh, evolution without God, he had to really wrestle through this. And my my uh, wife was a little bit concerned about him wrestling with these questions, and uh, I would tell her, you know, this is a great time to kick the tires of Christianity as hard as he can. So, if students right now, they are surrounded by a worldview that is a non-Christian worldview, a worldview that's without God, get used to it, especially in the culture that we're at. So, I encourage any college student right now that's submerged in philosophy classes, humanity classes, uh, classes that deal with science and evolution, um, I want to just remind these students that Christianity is not a check-your-brain-at-the-door sort of faith and just blindly believe in something that has no basis to it. You argue from science, you argue from philosophy, some of the brightest minds in history, some of the most uh, brilliant scientists, some of the greatest philosophers have embraced a full intellectual understanding of a creationist God. And so I guess my, my challenge to students would be, do not be intimidated by a majority culture that has backed into their reasoning. They start with the understanding there is no God and build a philosophy around that. Never be intimidated by it because the rigors of Christian intellectualism uh, will stand up to any pagan philosophy, any worldview that's without God. However, the last thing that I would say is this. 
asked is um, most people, I remember speaking at a school that was a primarily non-Christian school, and a group of people came up to me that claimed to be atheist, and they wanted to talk to me, and they said, we don't believe in God, you know, we're atheists. When I really dug into it, I realized one girl, I said, so you're an atheist because of intellectual reasons? Yes. And as I dug into it, I realized that she was an atheist, not as much because of intellectual reasons, but because of her inner life towards religion and Christianity. And she actually started to cry because her intellectual platform wasn't that strong. It was about an emotion or reaction towards a Christianity that she could not understand and towards religious hurt in her life. And I think there's a lot of that in our world today. Yeah. And I just want to jump on this. that I've been reading a lot. For example, I think that a lot of the worldviews that we get today are rooted in Scripture, but they've, they've turned them into idols. So, for example... Uh, I think we have all these substitution religions. Uh, a truth from Scripture and the famous hymn, this is my father's world, we need to be good stewards of it. But now what has happened, some people have turned environmentalism into a God and a religion. Uh, you know, the Bible teaches that God is not a respecter of persons, uh, that, that he values all people. But according to John McWhorter, the great uh, professor at Columbia of Linguistics, he says wokeism has now become a religion, uh, and that what has happened is a truth is there, and people take that truth and turn it into an idol and make a false religion out of it, and those are the worldviews. Uh, one of the things that I have found really encouraging recently in light of that is I watch, I've seen the movie twice now, Jesus Revolution, hmm. and I am a product of the Jesus Revolution. I became mm-hmm. a believer in 1972. I, I became a follower of Jesus, and it was the work of the Holy Spirit all over, both coasts, not just California, in the Holy Land where I grew up, Brooklyn. The Holy Spirit was working there, too. And, uh, and it was a reflection of teens and college students who were uh, searching for meaning and significance and finding all the substitutes, whether it was drugs or uh, rock and roll or all, you know, all the, the new morality and all that, and they were finding it dissatisfying and unfulfilling. And that's when they began to search for truth. So I think we have one of the greatest opportunities mm-hmm. ever now uh, with this worldview uh, that it's come back around and people are really going to be dissatisfied with these worldviews. And now's the time for us to give the truth. Uh, not, the, the, not the kernel of truth that the false faiths have been built on, but the actual truth of the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, and we can have meaning and significance and eternal life and abundant life through him. That's the message that we have today. We have a greater opportunity than any other time. So uh, we're going to take a break here. Thank you for that wonderful question. Uh, This program is called Open Line, in case you're listening. Usually you call in. Today it's a special live audience asking the questions right here on the campus of Moody Bible Institute. Don't go away. There are many more questions coming up, so stay right there. This is Open Line.
This is Open Line with Michael Rydonlik. I'm so glad you're listening in today. We have a special program today. No phone calls, a live studio audience asking the questions today. And joining me uh, for this hour, uh, or part of the hour, let's see how long this lasts before he gets called away. It's the the president of Moody Bible Institute, Dr. Mark Job. I'm so glad you're you're with me. You know, uh, before we start to answering questions, people ask me all the time, what's with the kitchen table? And now I know, I, you said t- last night, I heard you say that you began pastoring at age 21. Yes. Right? I was older. I was 22. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, the thing is, when we, when we first started our congregation, the, both the first one I was in and then the second, we had no place to meet. And so Eva and I, whenever there were people I had to meet with about teaching the Bible or answering their questions, or we just did it at our home around the kitchen table yeah, and did all our Bible studies. I bet you did that too. Yeah, I had a lot of Bible studies around the kitchen table, yeah. so I totally get it. Yeah, our living room was too small, so we had to do it at the kitchen <laughs> table. And uh, uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, in fact, there's someone that actually uh, found Open Line, and he said to his Bible study group, he lives in Florida, he said, that kitchen table, that was me. I used to sit around the kitchen table and ask those questions. So when we when Open Line started, I used to joke about being around the radio kitchen table because that's how I envisioned it. And then people actually began to give to Open Line on a monthly basis, and we called them, you guessed it, kitchen table oh. partners. And uh, I, I so appreciate that. And if you're listening and you think, yeah, I listen to Open Line regularly, and it's really encouraged me, and it's been a... Uh, a uh, way of walk, helping me in my walk with the Lord, well, maybe you'd consider becoming a kitchen table partner as well. Uh, all you have to do is give us a call at 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. And by the way, if you do that, if you become a kitchen table partner and give monthly, every other week I will send you a Bible study moment. It's a audio Bible study that you get in your email. You click on it, listen to it, and uh, it's just a few minutes, and it'll be an encouragement for you in, in your time with the Word, and it's designed exclusively for our kitchen table partners, and uh, that's yours. Remember, call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org to become a kitchen table partner. We're going to go right back to the questions. Uh, Rob Preston there from Northbrook, Illinois. Yeah. Everyone else, just first names, okay? We, we, <laughs> uh, okay, Robert. My question references Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, <laughs> Since we know people who have claimed to know Christ or encountered Christianity... Uh, now have left their churches since COVID. This scripture speaks to those who encountered the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. They were taught. They had tasted the Lord. Mm -hmm. How might they be beyond being restored to redemption, as verse 6 states? Well, let me just say, I think that the question that people have and that's a really, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's one of the toughest passages in Scripture. But uh, the issue is not whether they're going to services, but whether they have repudiated their faith in, in the Lord Jesus. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people that drop out of church but say, oh, I, but I believe. And, and, of course, I would encourage them to go back 
and be part of a community of faith. But the issue here people raise is there are people who have left the faith that deny the Lord Jesus. Uh, and the question is, what do we think about them? Uh, I want to give some really quick uh, exegetical or technical answers, and then I'm going to kick it over to uh, Pastor Job to give some of, somewhat of a pastoral perspective about this. The first thing I would say is always interpret the unclear passages in light of the clear. The Bible is so clear mm -hmm. that we are secure in our redemption, that the forgiveness that the Lord Jesus gives us will never be taken away. In John 6, 37 through 40, here's a little summary of what the Lord Jesus said. He said, I've come not to do the will, my will, but the will of him who sent me, the Father. And this is the will of him who sent me. Of all that he has given me, I lose not one of them. And so the Lord Jesus uh, secures us. If he could lose you, Robert, or me, or anyone here, that means that he is not who he claimed to be, because he always does the Father's will, and the Father's will is that we stay secure in him. So always interpret the difficult passages, the unclear passages, in light of the many, many clear passages that say we're secure. The second thing I would say is the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish people who are thinking about abandoning the faith. Uh, they've encountered some persecution. I think these are Jewish people who have come to Jerusalem, and they are now being persecuted for their faith, and they're thinking about bailing. And uh, the writer of Hebrews, I think, is writing sort of a mixed group uh, to people who were genuine believers, and then people he doesn't know. Are they genuine or not? Because they're thinking about bailing. Uh, I really can identify with this because I have seen a lot of Jewish people in exactly this same circumstance. Uh, and uh, the reason I say that they're like this is because he goes through all the, that they, the elementary message about the Messiah, and they need to go on to maturity or completion. And he mentions all the things that they were taught about that they need, they need to go on. And one of the things, in the old King James Version, it says that they were taught about baptisms. Well, the Greek word there isn't about baptisms. It's about ritual washings from the Old Testament. And so these are not people who have become believers. These are people who have a great Old Testament foundation. All these things could be taught in the Old Testament, but they haven't gone on to maturity of a mature faith, a genuine faith in Jesus. And so he's telling you've come close, but you're not there yet. And uh, he said you've come so close that you've tasted of the Holy Spirit. You're in a congregation. You, you see the power of the Word of God. You see miracles happening in your congregation. You see answers to prayer. You see all these things. You've tasted it, but you haven't fully experienced it. And so he is telling them, if you bail now, uh, it's, it's going to be impossible to restore you to a place of repentance. You need to move forward, not backward. That's what I think the message of Hebrews 6 is. Now, the thing that's very important about this is it's impossible with us to renew them to repentance. I always think when someone gets close and they bail, or they seem to be believers and they bail, and we say, well, it's impossible to renew them to repentance. With me, with you, Rob, but I'll tell you who it's not impossible with. It's impossible with God. It is possible with God. All things are possible for him. And so that's what I would say. Now, what would you say if you encounter someone, Mark, uh, that, that 
that's yeah this this bailed. is a big question and I've been asked as a pastor many many times not only about this passage but just anecdotally when someone says <laughs> I know someone that prayed a prayer when they were 12 years old and got baptized and then you know they've abandoned and they're atheist and they're so that question arises and uh, I 100% agree with uh, Dr. Rydelnik, Michael, that y- you have to look at the totality of Scripture to interpret some of these difficult passages. Um, and um, I remember talking to one man that I asked him, are you, are you a born-again believer? And he had been raised in a theology where you can you can gain, you can lose, you can gain, you can lose, you can gain, you can lose. And he said, yeah, this is about my uh, seventh time I've uh, accepted the Lord. And he lived with this incredible fear of not knowing whether he was a believer or not. So so take this loss of salvation to f- its full implications. Mm-hmm. If If we lose our salvation because of bad works— then it would imply that we could gain our salvation because of good works. And if we can lose our salvation because of bad works, then there is not a security of believer. We live in constant fear of, and that goes so contrary to so much of Scripture that talks about we're sealed until the day of redemption with the deposit of the Holy Spirit. It cannot be taken away. It's fully, the, uh, it's fully Jesus that has done it. People ask uh, asked that question, so what about a believer that just lives like... Uh, remember the discipline of God. The Bible is full of that, that if someone, I believe, genuinely filled with the Holy Spirit, saved, starts to live in a way that is contrary to God, that God's discipline comes in as well, and it's not just, well, nothing's going to happen, and Scripture's clear about that. In fact, in in 1 Corinthians and other passages, it talks about, and some are actually dead. Um, you know, some have died uh, because of that discipline of God upon their life. Now, they, they, they may be severely disciplined and um, end up before the Father, but not losing their salvation. And um, I think that the, the overwhelming totality of Scripture speaks to a salvation that is totally on the work of Jesus Christ, and cannot be taken away from us either. That's the totality of Scripture, and this is one of those hard uh, passages that— but I agree with with Michael that these are people that, it's interesting, he uses the words tasted and, and experienced, but not—he doesn't use definitive, like, hey, I've been to the table, I've tasted, I've been in this, but, but I don't live there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've experienced it, but I don't fully live there, and I would agree with your interpretation. Well, uh, here's a, a great reminder. It talks about our works in 1 Corinthians 3. Everyone builds upon the foundation of the Lord Jesus with either wood, hay, straw, or uh, silver, gold, and precious gems. Uh, that's what our works are compared to. And it talks about if anyone's work is burned up at the judgment seat, the wood, hay, and straw, and there's no good works left, to be rewarded with. It says, if any man's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved, yet it will be like an escape through fire. So it's even possible for a person to have 
no fruit in their lives, if you could imagine that. No fruit whatsoever when they stand before God, and yet because they've trusted in Jesus, the grace of God is greater than all our sin, and they are still uh, eternally uh, with him. I would say, Michael, just, just to add to that, that the the downside of, you know, easy believism, I mm. prayed a prayer, you know, so I'd, I would exactly. warn people, yep. just because you prayed a prayer when you're 12, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a believer. And the downside, I agree that it's not based on our works, but the downside is the fear of, am I truly saved? Because, you know, it's show by our fruits, and so that there's that... Well, un- examine yourself to exactly. see if you're in the there's faith, that is what Paul uncertainty says. that people can live with. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, uh, I think it, that's a really important point. I'm not saying we shouldn't have works. Uh, and I think the reason that there's a lack of security, the number one question we get on open line is, I, I don't know if I really know the Lord. It's because of a failure. They, they may know the Lord, but they haven't been walking with him. And insecurity comes by not right. having any work. The yeah. thief on the cross didn't have a chance to show good works, yeah. and yet he was in paradise. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it, it is... Uh, I'm not trying to minimize. In fact, I think what we really need to do is do a whole two-hour uh, <laughs> open line sometime about the role of of works and security and all that. Uh, sometime we're going to do that. I think it's so vital because so often people are insecure. But I, I happen to believe that uh, security with the Father, knowing that we're His, is the most important step in our walk with the Lord. Uh, That's what drives us closer to him and produces fruit in our lives. We're going to be back in just a bit. Uh, After this break, you're listening to Open Line with Michael Rydonik and Mark Joe. Here, there's a live studio audience right here at Moody Bible Institute, the campus right here in Chicago. I'm so grateful to see these people here asking the questions today. So no calls today uh, and even no mailbag at this point. Uh, We're going to have you guys right here in the studio. You can hear my New Yorker coming out, you guys. (laughs) If I was from the South, I'd say all y'all. And if you're from Chicago, you say use guys. Use guys. Yeah, that's it. Uh, And uh, but joining me is Dr. Mark Job and a live studio audience, and we're going to take your questions through them. Uh, so listen in. I'm sure they have the same questions you have. But I have a question for Dr. Job. Okay, Mark, this is something that's really important. I've been trying to emphasize this every week on Open Line for the last few weeks. I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, but I think that Moody Bible Institute is the best foundation for life, mm-hmm. no matter what you're going to do in life. Getting an education. So here's my question for you. Why do you think, if you're a parent listening, if you're a grandparent listening, why should you tell your grandpa- grandchild, your, your son, your daughter, uh, you need to go to Moody Bible Institute for college? <laughs> I may be a little biased, but let me just say that I believe that one of the non-negotiable foundations that every young adult needs to have is a foundation in their faith, rooted in theology, so that they can live on mission regardless of what they do in life. Mm-hmm. So you may be a grandparent saying, well, I don't think my grandson is going to be a preacher. Well, Moody Bible Institute does train pastors and missionaries, 
But I believe we train people that want to live on mission and make a difference for God. And so this is one of the places I think that trains the heart, the mind, and the skills to live on mission and make a difference. And there's a diminishing number of schools that actually uh, take a very solid stance on Scripture. So if you are a parent, grandparent, I would highly encourage you to tell your son, daughter to check out Moody Bible Institute. Yeah, the most important training I think a person can get for their profession, whatever job they're going to do, is to know the Scriptures, to know the truths about God, and how to serve Him, no matter what you're doing. If you're a, a lawyer, a doctor, a nurse, uh, whatever it is that you're going to be doing, the foundation that you get at Moody Bible Institute just changed my life. I know it changed your life, yeah. uh, and uh, it's it's something that I really want to encourage people to do. Okay, let's go back to questions. Great. Good morning, Dr. Rodelnik. My name is Jim from Chicago. Uh, this may be more of a pastoral question for Dr. Job Good, rather than a biblical question, and one to follow up on what you just said. Uh, there seems to be an increase in the number of believers who are young adults who are questioning their faith, or what they call deconstructing their faith. Uh, what do you believe is at the root of this deconstruction movement? Yeah, Jim, that's a great question. And if you have a high schooler or 20-something, um, all across the land there are uh, college-age kids that are saying, I'm rethinking my faith. What's driven that, Jim, is that there's some cultural values that seem incongruent with Christianity. For example, my son, while he was in college, had a friend that had grown up in the church, and he said, I don't know if I can follow a God that is anti-gay. And that's how he put it. Like, I, I don't know if I can follow a God. He was in a secular university, and he felt like um, if this God is against these people, I don't know if I can follow that God. And my son came to me and said, um, I, I, what do I tell him? I said, well, first of all, God is for people. And so he needs to understand the narrative is that God is not against people. We all have our issues, and understanding really God's design for human sexuality. So I recommended that he would get a book by Christopher Yuan called Holy Sexuality that defines uh, sexual flourishing the way that God intended it. And so when this young man, a university student here in, in, in Chicago, read through it, he realized, okay, this is not this hateful damning God. This is a God that actually loves us and is trying to provide a design in which we can flourish. And so I think a lot of the deconstruction comes by Christianity oppresses women, Christianity is against the marginalized, Christianity is hateful. That is a false narrative um, perpetuated by people that don't understand Christianity. Jesus, by the way, when it came to women— in, in back in the Jewish culture, I mean, they were very, very, you know, uh, you know. I don't want to. There's a prayer. I'm. I don't know. You're the Jewish expert, but I'm glad I'm not a dog or a woman. Um, that that some of the uh, some of the really it's religious... not a dog. Is that? It's. I. I thank God I am not a Gentile. Oh, oh, there you go. All right. Um, 
And here's the thing. Jesus elevated women. Jesus, they were the first at the grave. They were part of his inner core. They were, I think he shocked people with giving them a voice and, and how to treat them. And you can't get a divorce for any reason. You have to. And so Christianity has elevated uh, the dignity of human beings. Not Christianity has not oppressed only uh, distorted versions of Christianity have put down oppressed and incited hateful bigotry. Christianity, uh, from a biblical perspective, yes, there's right and wrong, there's a moral code in God, but it is it is uh, backed by a God that's full of grace and love and uh, redemptive power. And so I think a lot of the deconstruction is a skewed view of Christianity when it comes to cultural issues. When we moved into our neighborhood, uh, uh, our next-door neighbor said that a few doors down, another set of neighbors said, Moody professors are moving into the neighborhood? And they got all nervous, and they said, well, they hate us, meaning uh, uh, they were a same-sex couple. And uh, I was real surprised that they would think that. And one of the things that has happened over the many years that we have lived there we love these people, mm-hmm. and they are our very close friends on on the street there with us, and they have keys to our house, and we have keys to their house. And uh, the thing, you know, I may disagree about some of their life choices, but I don't disagree about them being made in the image of God, uh, objects of his love, uh, and I have to love them as sacrificially and unconditionally as I can. And, you know, when the time comes, uh, they haven't come to know uh, the Lord Jesus yet. Yeah, we'll deal with other issues then. But the most important thing I can do is to love people, to represent God's love for them. And uh, it's it's something that I think that one of the reasons that uh, people deconstruct their faith is because believers are not loving others the way God would intend us to love them. Yeah. And and so we have to be better. We have to be better examples uh, about love. So, Hello, doctor. My name is Bill from Palatine, Illinois. And a question that's come up about someone questioning their faith has been about the fact that growing up in America, they're exposed to Christianity. Um, so someone would become a Christian. But if they'd grown up in the Mideast, they would become Muslim or India, Hindu. And they're you questioning— You Jewish, you're never going to believe in Jesus? Mm-hmm. How is it that a loving God would reject people because of the geographic area they grew up in? Yeah, I, 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 it's amazing that God would actually, you know, if you're born in Brooklyn, how could you ever come to know Jesus? And yet God worked in my life. That's, I think, something that is essential. I grew up, I was the, the day I came to faith in Jesus, you would have said that is the last person on earth that would ever believe in Jesus. I, and I mean that. I was so hostile and uh, so angry at this faith. And uh, I was raised in a home. Uh, my, both my parents were Holocaust survivors. I, I, I saw the world, the, I saw the Nazis growing up as Christianity. And uh, when my mom came out as a believer, I said, the world is us and them and you have become of them. Mm-hmm. And I was very angry, and yet God was able to reach me and turn my heart. Uh, And I would say 
you know, you look at Romans 10, uh, it says, well, let's start with Romans 1. Yeah. God has given enough evidence mm-hmm. uh, in creation to cause people who, wherever they're at, to seek him. And I would say, I, I had a student once from Jordan, raised in Islam, and he was a, 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 a maverick kind of thinker because he was standing in Aqaba and uh, looking over at a lot in Israel. And he was thanking God that he had brought the Jewish people back to the land of Israel. Uh, he, was ta- he was telling that to Allah. And uh, uh, he was thanking God for that. And he said, may we learn their lessons because uh, Israel has led the world in water reclamation and all sorts of things. And so that's what he was saying to God. And uh, he saw, now this is just amazing to me, but he saw a vision of Jesus. And he didn't know what to make of it. Then he came to America on a soccer scholarship, and he was at university, and he walked into a hardware store, and he saw a girl reading a Bible, and he said, well, that's an interesting book. And she said, I'll get you one in Arabic, come back. And, and so he came back the next day, and she had an Arabic Bible for him, and he read it, and he came to know Jesus. God has a way of reaching people no matter what their geographic location is. I'm not saying everyone gets a vision. We all have creation, but there's something that is incumbent upon us, and that's in Romans 10, how should they hear without a preacher? Uh, we need to go and, and, and bring the good news all over the world. I think we have lost, many people have lost their heart for missions, and uh, God expects us to go. It's one of the, I don't know if you want to add anything on that. Yeah, it's, it's a tough question, and uh, my son growing up asked that question too because he had some Muslim and Hindu friends. And I would say this, um, I, I think uh, Michael has explained it. The proclamation of the Word of God, the good news, is the direct understanding of God, but it's not the only one. The Holy Spirit is still in the darkest places that mm-hmm. have never heard, prompting people to Jesus. Creation speaks to a Creator God. It's not the full revelation, it's, it's, it's a partial understanding of who this God is, but it is an understanding that points us to God, and um, I, I have heard so many stories and believe so that God wants to reach people more than us. If ignorance were the way to uh, salvation, then close down, shut all the Bi- burn all the Bibles, shut down all the churches, and and let's not let people know so that they can. That's not the way. Um, b- but I want to be clear about this. The the most clear is a messenger sent, and the Bible tells go 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 go. But it's not the only way. And Michael has mentioned that people visions and dreams. God has a lot of ways of reaching into the crevices of people's world as He leads them to a fuller understanding but, of the gospel. What I thought was amazing about this. Uh, young man I had in class many years ago, is it started with that vision, but he didn't know what to make of it. But then he met someone who knew the Lord, who gave him a Bible, and I think that's what God brought him into the kingdom with. I think God uses people, but he opens the way. Now, the thing is, sometimes people look at the creation, and they turn it into gods. That's what paganism did, and they substitute the creation for the creator. But when they recognize a creator, I believe that's when God sends more light. Hmm. So... Anyway, we're going to take a break here, and uh, when we come back, there's still more time for questions, so 
don't run out of the studio. You're here, and we're going to take more questions. Uh, this program is called Open Line. I am here every week. My name is Michael Rajanik. Joining me today, Dr. Mark Job and this wonderful studio audience. Stay right there. We're coming right back. studio audience right here on the campus of Moody Bible Institute. I'm Michael Rydelnik. Joining me today answering questions is Dr. Mark Job. Before we get back to questions, I'll tell you a question I often get on open line is what should we think about the Jewish people? What does it mean that God chose the Jewish people? Does God still have a plan for the Jewish people? Well, Chosen People Ministries, uh, an organization that brings the good news to Jewish people and all around the world, and is also an underwriter for Open Line. They want to help answer those questions for you, and they're offering a free book called Israel, the Jewish People, and Jesus. This book explains God's promises to the Jewish people and how he will bring them to pass. And if you'd like a copy, uh, all you have to do is go to our website. That's openlineradio.org. Scroll down, you'll see a link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that, you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your very own copy of Israel, the Jewish People, and Jesus. Okay, we're going to go right back to questions. My name is Stephanie, and I'm from Palatine, Illinois, and my question is, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. Can you help us understand how to best address this (laughs) statement? Well, that's, uh, that is in the book, 50 Most Important Bible Questions. Uh, I always think that's an interesting one. Uh, here's, let me just read you something from the Old Testament, because the image that people have is the God of the Old Testament, he's angry and judgmental, right? And the God of the New Testament, the Lord Jesus, he's the loving shepherd. You know, he's just always so gentle, right? Well, listen to uh, the book of Exodus. That's the God of the Old Testament. Ready? Uh, I'm turning my page here. Listen to this. The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations. That's the God of the Old Testament. Now, uh, if you turn to Revelation chapter 6, I want to read you about the God of the New Testament. Uh Here's what it says about him. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Okay, here we go. The kings of the earth and the nobles, the military commanders, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne, from the wrath of the lamb. Did you ever see a wrathful lamb? Well, there we go, from the wrath of the Lamb, that's the Lord Jesus, because of the great day of their wrath, the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb, has come, and who is able to stand? Well, that's the God of the New Testament. Here's what the Bible teaches. The God of the Old Testament is a God of love and justice. The God of the New Testament is a God of love and justice. It's the same God, same message. Uh, People are always always saved by grace through faith. The God of the Old Testament is a God of, of uh, grace and mercy and love, and he's also a God of justice. The God of the New Testament, 
a God of mercy, grace, and love, and also a God of justice. Sorry about it. You get the next one. <laughs> so, Mark, I said, you answer the next one. No, that's good. Yeah. My name is Gail from Northbrook. Yeah. It has become an increasing passion of mine to understand Genesis 1 through 11 because I feel we don't spend enough time understanding, and I feel that sets the plate for belief in God. It's the like the bookends, and that's the first bookend that we come to. So when you read in Genesis, starting with chapter 3, and you go through your verses on the first day, on the second day, that use of the word day, is that the same word that's used in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, where God gives the commandments and says, on the seventh day, you should rest, which was a 24-hour day. So does that mean the days of creation were 24-hour days? That's a big debate these days. Do you want to answer? No, he's pointing at me. <laughs> okay, the word day. The Hebrew word, okay. It's the word yom, and it can be a 24-hour day. Uh, and... Uh, the same word is used in terms like the day of the Lord, which is a period of time and not a 24-hour day. Uh, even in Genesis 2, it says uh, that uh, th- that this is what happened on the day the Lord created the world, and that's referring to the whole six days of creation. It uses the word day for a period of time. All that to say is I happen to believe that it's 24-hour days, I think that's the best sense there in the six days of creation. Uh, there's a lot more to be said about that, but I think they're talking about six 24-hour days. And uh, the main thing, and I think, uh, Mark, I want you to jump in here real quick. The main thing is whether you hold to a 24 or a period of time is that God is the creator. Yeah, and 100% agree that it, unless we get creation right— we get a lot of other things right. There is a God that designed all things, man, woman, human sexuality, creation, order in the universe, and if we don't understand that, sometimes we get a lot of other things wrong in the story of creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, but, and, and believe it or not, that's the first hour. We're done. Uh, but there's a second hour coming up on most of these stations, so don't go away. There's a live audience. They're going to ask questions the second hour, and uh, if your station doesn't carry open lines second hour, check out uh, the pod- podcast or listen on the Moody Radio app or maybe go online and listen there. During the break, check out our webpage, openlineradio.org. That page has links to past programs, question page, links to our Bible study resource or how to become a kitchen table partner, all sorts of things that you'll find right there. Our Bible study across America will continue in the second hour. So stay with us. Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.